Hello, hello. My name is Dr. Rachel Gainsborough, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor Podcast. Hello, hello. I am super excited. As you can tell, I am super stoked. We have with us the Tyler Kuhn of the West North Carolina market. So tonight we're going to do a little bit differently because here's the deal, guys. A lot of you have, have asked me, well, I can't find a realtor who is short-term rental savvy or investor savvy. <laughs> exactly. And so I have shared with you multiple different strategies that I use to find that type of realtor, one of which is kind of networking, right? I get referrals and so on and so forth. I have a whole process or a roadmap, but if you are fresh to a new market, you want to know, well, does this realtor understand what my needs are as a short-term rental investor? Because a lot of things come with working with the right realtor. You get great deals that are either coming on the market, on the market, or you know, new construction deals, just like unique opportunities, right? Because here's what I want to kind of caution against is strolling or scrolling or whatever the terminology is through Zillow or trawling through Zillow all night long looking for deals and you didn't get any sleep and you got to get to work and you're exhausted, exhausted as you know what. And then the properties there are just kind of like picked over, already pending offers. You know, Zillow takes that hot minute to update for you. So you really don't know what's going on with that property, right? And so if you have a trusty realtor in the short-term rental market that you are investing in that can continue to feed you deals, add you to lists, create like a custom list just for your budget so that you're in the know, you have your pre-approval letter, you're ready to go. And I mean, ready, not tired, you're ready to go these realtors can deliver for you. And so with that being said, I do want to go over some, I have a, a list of 35 questions that I ask realtors to see whether or not they're going to be a good fit for what I'm doing for my short-term rental model. Um, I'm just going to go over 10 short questions or so, but I definitely want us to make sure that we get an intro from Tyler. So with that being said, take it away, Tyler, can you just introduce yourself to the people, please? Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Tyler Kuhn. I am a short-term rental real estate investor and agent in the Western North Carolina market. So the only type of buyer that I work with is a short-term rental investor. I chose the niche because I am really good at data-driven analytical decisions. And that fits really well with the short-term rental market. Um, so it's a space I love. 
I was an Airbnb host before I was even a real estate agent. Um, so it's really a natural fit for me. My clients have seen a lot of successes, a lot of wins, and I will not pitch a property unless I would buy it myself. Um, and so I think that really is where uh, I come from is a place of contribution in terms of making sure you get a great investment. And I tell everybody, I'll be the first one to tell you not to buy a property, which is not what the typical real estate agent does out there, right? They're trying to sell as many as they can and sell as much as they can. And um, I'm on the opposite end of that. I only want to sell you what's going to be good for you or that I would buy myself. Um, so yeah, that's it. That's me. And I'm looking forward to speaking with Rachel. Thank you so much for having me on and uh, any value that I can add to the group. And uh, Rachel, let's get started. Yeah, awesome. And that is one thing that I really liked about Tyler. When I bumped into his group, I don't even know how that all transpired. You know how sometimes Facebook recommends you to go into a group. When I saw Tyler drop a couple spreadsheets and a data raboo seasonality chart, I was like, I need to know this man. Okay, this is legit. This is legit. So if a realtor is dropping air DNA numbers, data raboo numbers, they already understand what it is that you're doing. And so definitely tap in with them. Always double check for yourself, regulations, HOA, um, CCNRs, if you know that's a thing for that property. But that is already a realtor who I, I told Tyler, that's a realtor after my own heart as soon as I saw those numbers. And so was really excited. Uh, we brought Tyler onto our smaller mastermind group last week and really excited. We already have within our group three properties under contract, which is insane. So super stoked about the Western North Carolina market. Market, and that's why I'm bringing him to you here today. And so here are some of the questions. And I, I do have a checklist list, like I said, 30 or so questions, but I just want to highlight a few just to give you guys an idea and kind of like a, a starter kit on what to ask uh, a realtor, because I do get that question a lot. Like, I don't know if the realtor, and it's not even about a touchy feely thing. These are objective questions, uh, numerical questions, closing the questions sometimes. And so that'll give you a little bit of the type of realtor uh, you're working with. And there's nothing wrong with the other types of realtors. Just know that the residential realtor for that first time home buyer is going to be different from a short-term rental realtor. And you want that expert in the short-term rental industry to be uh, one of your uh, members of your team, really. And I consider Tyler now a member of our team as he continues to educate us on the market and to provide us leads for properties. So super excited about that. All right. So here's one of my first questions. Uh, hello, Tyler. How long have you been a realtor in the Western North Carolina area? <laughs> so I actually probably do not have the most experience in this market. Um, I've been a real estate agent for just over three years. So a lot of people might call that inexperienced, but I'm probably one of the hardest working agents out here. Not to put anybody else out there down or anything, but I put in the hours for sure. Awesome. Awesome. So just guys understand that. Sometimes, you know, it's not necessarily the number of years, but the number of transactions uh, that are short-term rental related is really what I'm looking for. So the next question is, do you work with short-term rental investors? All I work with is short-term rental investors. Um, if it's a first-time home buyer or someone moving to and from the area, a listing that is not one of my investors selling a short-term rental, I'll send it to somebody else because my complete focus needs to be on this and this alone. 
Awesome. And so that goes in line with the next question. I typically ask, well, what is your experience with helping short-term rental investors? Yeah. So um, we deep dive with our clients. Not only am I going to find you the right investment or help you find the right investment, we're going to do a deep dive together into the revenue numbers. And when I look at the revenue, I want to see that not only do I feel confident this year that the revenue is going to be good, but that in the future, there's potential for growth, whether that's a couple doing more than what I think this property could do this year. So a goal to get to, or maybe value adds in terms of hot tubs or something like that. Um, but Outside of that, uh, we also have a property management company. So it gives me particular insight into trends like uh, average daily rates, occupancy rates, um, how to furnish an Airbnb, what type of things guests run into and complain about, and um, how we can really make this not just a real estate sale, but how can we turn this into a profitable in the top percentile uh, short-term rental. So from beginning to end, we're your partner in your short-term rental. Even if we're not buying in with you, uh, we definitely take it 10 steps further than a normal real estate agent would because we know exactly the path that you need to go on for success. A lot of times I learn from my clients as well. You know, if they're more experienced hosts maybe than even I am, I'll learn from them and it's a collaboration. Um, and a lot of times uh, we get the first time investor or second time investor and they learn a lot with us too. Awesome. And I, I love the way you kind of transition from if a first time home buyer is looking to buy this we would then refer them out versus what the needs of a short-term rental investor is. Because guys, listen, when I was starting out three years ago, there weren't that many Tylers out there. There really weren't a lot of short-term rental investors. You do have those that are focused on those tried and true larger vacation rental markets, right? But when you start to go out a little bit further, there really aren't uh, too many overly experienced short-term rental realtors that really know the numbers, the way that we know the numbers, especially in our mastermind and the way that Tyler knows the numbers. And so what we would look for as a first time home buyer, we're looking for square footage and we're looking for good schools and we're looking for that whole mindset and that paradigm completely shifts. I'm not saying that square footage and good school doesn't matter, but for a short-term rental investor, not as much. So if you were to, to itemize, you know, the top features, you know, square footage and, and good schools for me as a mom, that's all I was looking for, right? Do we have enough room for everyone? Are we near good schools? Short-term rentals is a whole different uh, situation. So thank you for showing us that, you know, that that is the difference and that is the biggest difference. So next question, how many houses did you sell to short-term rental investors last year? Um, so we did over 30 to investors last year. And last year is when I really niched down into the short-term rental industry. And so I started working with a group of doctors out of Myrtle Beach and I'm doing these deals and I'm having so much fun. Um, and that's what you really want. You really want to have, work with people that enjoy what they do. And it's not a chore to them. I will literally sit up and run air DNA reports at night on stuff hitting the market because I like to see the trends and things like that. So um, to put it in perspective, we did 30 last year. We're on track this year to do 120. All short-term rentals, 100%. 
So a big change here in Western North Carolina, but I don't think that means the market's getting oversaturated. It's unlikely that that would really be the case here because overall it's a primary residential market, which is what I think is different than um, somewhere like the Smokies. Gotcha. Gotcha. I love that. That trend is insane. And you know what? You We have a lot of members of the group. As we see the group is growing by 50, 100 individuals every day, we are interested. We're very interested in short-term rental investing. And so as I see the group growing, I really, I fully anticipate you're going to continue to see your numbers grow as well. All right. So next question is, are you familiar with what area do and do not allow short-term rentals from a regulatory and zoning perspective? Yeah. So there are four cities or towns in our area who have banned or almost banned short-term rentals. And so the town of Boone, um, which is like top West North Carolina, the town of Blowing Rock, the city of Asheville, and then the town of Highlands last year almost passed and then pulled back a law, but it's somewhere I would stay away from, right? If they're mid-ban on short-term rentals or the regulatory attitude on short-term rentals is not super friendly, it's not an area that I'd feel comfortable investing long-term in. And so even outside of that, you want an agent that knows how linked up the cities are. For instance, if the town of Highlands is potentially going to ban short-term rentals in the future, what other towns might follow that? And so there's a town right next to Highlands called Cashiers that the towns are very similar in makeup and the, the downtowns have the same type of shopping, the same type of restaurants, the same type of folks that live there, second homes a mix of short-term rentals now, and they're very intertwined, right? They're, they're very close to each other. And also they're right next to each other. And so it makes me worry that if they banned in Highlands, they could ban in cashiers. So I'm staying away from those areas specifically. The great thing is about um, like, let's say the city of Asheville, the town of Boone, the town of Blowing Rock, the town limits and city limits in Western North Carolina are incredibly small. So we just put two deals under contract this week um, that have Asheville addresses, but they're actually just right outside city limits. And so at that point, you want a real estate agent that knows the city of Asheville is not allowed to annex any additional territory. So you, you really need to dive that deep before you make a mistake and buy something that you're not going to be able to use as a short-term rental because who knows where the market's going. You don't want to waste your deal today on that, a lower interest rate that maybe by the time in December, let's say interest rates are five and a half, six percent potentially. You may have wasted your deal there that now you have to sell it and buy something else and waste a little bit of interest rate. So it is really important to stay familiar. I stay friends with town council people. I stay really good friends with like agents that are maybe in the zoning arena or they're doing building or it's always good to be talking as much as possible to local officials or people that are really involved in the local small communities so that way you really have a feel for like what's coming or what's potentially coming. So you can just stay away from it. Awesome. I love it. And so that is an example of a thorough response. <laughs> and, I, and I had to do a play-by-play -play or breakdown of the conversation, but I think it's important because it's a two-pronged conversation. I do want to introduce you to Western North Carolina, but simultaneously, I want you to understand 
what it looks like to work with a realtor who understands what short-term rentals are, what the regulations are, uh, what is he's your future pacing for us, Tyler. You know, you're letting us in the future. This may happen. This may not happen. Let's steer clear of, you know, this potential roadblock that may occur in, in the future. And so uh, you're right. Some of these homes, you know, may be very cost effective and we'll talk numbers in a moment, but some may be, you know, at the very top of our budget, the worst thing we can do in that situation is purchase a home that we then cannot short-term rent. And then, you know, then what? So what about seasonality? Tell us a little bit about the seasons in Western North Carolina, because I may be from California. I may be from Texas. We have members who are from all over Kansas, you know? And so tell us a little bit about the seasons there. Yeah. So um, if you get closer, there, there's two separate areas that have a little bit of different seasons. So if you look anywhere west of Charlotte on a map, all the way to Virginia, Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina borders, I cover all of it. It's three different MLSs. Um, and we're actually moving into Blue Ridge, Georgia as well. But if you look at that map, the Boone, Banner Elk, Blowing Rock, Beach Mountain, Sugar Mountain area is um, about an hour and a half northeast of Asheville. That area up there has a strong 11-month season because they have three really great ski resorts up there. It's not Vail. It's not Breckenridge. But um, it's an easy drive up from Florida, from Alabama, from South Carolina in the winter to come explore and do some winter sports. So that area up there in terms of seasonality, April to just about the beginning of May is really going to be your slowest time period. You should probably be looking to just cover costs in that month. That would be your goal. Cover costs. Maybe you're at a 45, 50% occupancy. The great thing is after that, it picks back up. All through summer, obviously, is great. Fall here is amazing. The Blue Ridge Parkway goes all the way through our entire area, and it's one of the most visited national parks in uh, the country. I think it was like 17 million travelers through the Blue Ridge Parkway last year. So huge tourist destination um, for fall when the leaves change. Winter, November, December are going to be a little bit slower until the, that area starts getting some snow. The great thing is you've got Thanksgiving, New Year's, Christmas, and all those holiday weeks where your rates should be double or triple, potentially even quadruple, that help bring those months to still being top revenue performers, a little bit lower occupancy. And then other than that, in that area, you should be good to go on occupancy. It's a strong 11-month season. Again, Banner Elk, Boone, Blowing Rock, Sugar Mountain, that area, slow April. Um, if you get more towards Asheville or anywhere else, Western North Carolina, um, January to mid-February is going to be about your slowest. So that was pretty slow for us this year. It's about 45% occupancy overall. Again, a month where you want to cover all your costs so you're not losing money, but don't hope to make a ton um, in January alone. Mid-February is when it really picks back up and then it's super strong through the rest of the year. I love it. And so that's really huge for me as well. Uh, we do have a cabin that's like all the way in the boonies in New York. And so it's extremely seasonal. It's a very like a passion project for my husband's family. And so you have just one season that you could really utilize it the rest of the year. It's a ghost town. And so the 11 seasons, 11 month year is just insanely amazing. I absolutely, absolutely love that. So next question, what are guests 
looking for in terms of amenities? What are guests looking for? I know in certain regions, so in, in our beach house in Florida, they're looking for just a pool and the Poconos is a pool and a hot tub. What are guests looking for? So I'm going to answer this in a two-pronged approach. I want to talk about what's here now and what they're looking for now and what we're missing. So the Western North Carolina market right now, people want to come, they want a hot tub, they want a fire pit, they want outdoor living space. Folks that are coming here, they're not traveling to Gatlinburg for a reason. And it's because they don't like kitschy, they don't like they don't want to go wait in line for an hour and a half to ride one theme park ride. They don't want to ride go-karts 45 times. They come here to be outdoors, get into nature, um, see the beautiful mountain views, go on the river, go hiking, go biking, go whitewater rafting or ATV. So you want to play into that traveler segment. They want to spend time outside. So you want to have a great outdoor area, hot tub, fire pit. Here's what I will tell you that we don't have that I think is huge room for improvement. I mean, Gatlinburg is like this market in Orlando, I would say too, like they've got these themed Airbnbs and, and Gatlinburg has indoor pools and they've got movie theaters and game rooms. We are missing that in this market. And I like that for the new investor to this market because it shows a great path to how could we become the top percentile of Airbnb? How can we become the best vacation rental in the area? So especially things like game rooms, movie theaters, they very, they hardly exist here. And so for investors coming in that maybe are experienced in those markets where there's themed Airbnbs or things like that, it could be a potential huge value add to come here and easily be able to see a way into a new segment here where, you know, you put a movie theater in Gatlinburg, it's like that's required to even be, you know, in the lower percentile, but here it would immediately put you in the higher percentile. So I always, I don't want to just buy an Airbnb and hope that it's going to do the same great revenue every year. I want to see real growth potential. How could I improve upon this? Oh, I love that. I love that. So guys, there you have it. So although I'm not going to go through all 30 questions on my list, you have a good grasp of just kind of the building blocks on how to get started with that. And one thing I didn't ask, but Tyler, you had already answered and I absolutely love is your networking. The fact that you said that you network with other regulatory bodies, other realtors who are in that building and zoning uh, specialization is so, so very important because what it does is it puts your finger on the pulse of what's coming down the pike, which is also very important for investors to know, you know, what is coming down a little bit later to make sure that we're investing correctly. So I love that. And the other thing that I love about realtors who are in the short-term rental industry who love to network, they oftentimes uh, get the inside scoop on properties that may not get on the MLS yet. So definitely tap in with those types of realtors who networking is their superpower and connecting with others is their superpower because that is a very, very important one to have. So thank you, thank you. So we have a few questions. Debbie wants to know what towns in particular does Tyler work in? Uh, can you rattle off those towns again for us, please, Tyler? 
Yeah, so if you go look at a map, honestly, anything west of Charlotte in North Carolina to all the state lines, north, south, and west, anything west of Charlotte, I cover all of it. Um, so to rattle off some towns, and really these would be good investment towns. These are where we own Airbnbs, where we manage Airbnbs, where we sell all day. Asheville, Lake Lure, Bryson City, Mars Hill, Weaverville, uh, Banner Elk, Blowing Rock, Beach Mountain, Boone, Sugar Mountain, all of these areas can perform really well and I operate in all of them. So Paris says, how do you find the regulations for STRs? Yeah, it really just depends because it could be, there. there's a kind of multifaceted approach here. Um, it could be county regulations, but we don't, at least, you know, we don't have those here. North Carolina typically leaves it to the city or the town to regulate on things like short-term rentals or rentals in general. Um, so really talking to somebody at the town, the zoning office in a specific town could tell you, or have an awesome real estate agent that already should know in that area. They should be able to tell you like what the regulatory outlook looks like. You definitely want to make sure that you can Airbnb it. Um, on another level, on HOA documents, this is where it gets a little bit tougher. An HOA could have been formed, let's say, 1976 and had original covenants and restrictions. There may be amendments since then. So you really have to be able to do a deep dive. You can do that yourself. You could look through the register of deeds for whatever county you're looking in, but it can be tough. So maybe you want to have a real estate attorney actually dive into that for you. A lot of times nowadays, houses are going under contract so quickly that you may not have time to do that. So just another reason to really, if you're not looking in my markets, go find an agent. I would say that would be your, your best use of your time, honestly, is before you even look for a house, go find an agent to make sure that they know what they're doing, vet them first, and then work through them on some of that stuff, because they should be able to provide the answers for you like that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And I'm, I love that question, Paris. Thank you for asking it because what that tells me is that you're very mindful before you actually make a transaction. The regulations are so, so very important. Tyler's absolutely right uh, because their you know, regulations are sometimes just straight up brand new to certain regions. So it's like, sometimes there's no regulation. Sometimes there's a version. Sometimes there's a limitation and it has to be owner occupied. Sometimes it can be short-term rented a number of days a month. Sometimes you need a permit. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes square footage matters. The septic tank matters. I have seen it all across the U.S. It is a thing, Paris. And I love that you asked this question. And one of the things we do in our mastermind, I have a whole roadmap and it starts with a simple Google search. Believe it or not, I look up short-term rental ordinance of insert city. And if it's Atlanta or Panama City Beach, just insert city, you start there. And then what you're looking for, that's going to be like the true meat and potatoes. You're looking for municipality code or a municode or short-term rental ordinance of Atlanta, something that is uh, published by a Atlanta.gov or, or some one of those bodies. That's already going to tell you, okay, this is probably a credible source. And you read that. However, if you don't find that, which a lot of times you're not going to find, you then contact the county clerk's office for that city, township, parish, or whoever, and you ask them, hey, what is the short-term rental ordinance of insert city? And they're going to say, oh, we don't have any. And you're like, okay, great, but is there anything in draft? That's the other thing. You remember what Tyler says, you got to 
see what's the temperature check. Are they going to be friendly towards it or are they aren't? Because if there's something in draft, you need to highly take that into consideration because that's going to tell you whether or not in about three months, you know, your future patients, three months, six months, what you will be facing. So those are the first two steps. And that already is going to get you going. But I have eight steps on finding out what it is. And some of it is a little bit like, I got to get a little tough and I want to see everything in writing. So I would want them to email it to me in order for me to understand. And I'm glad you mentioned the CCNRs of an HOA because after doing all that research, guys, if everything is copacetic, if the HLA says no, it's a no. They trump everything. <laughs> and so if you didn't know that, now you do. I don't want anyone, again, in this community to go out there thinking, well, the city says it's okay, but if you are purchasing a property that is a part of a mandatory required HOA and they say no short-term rentals, it is no short-term rentals. Doesn't matter what the city says, okay? So not to be mean, but that's the truth. <laughs> Am I right, Tyler? What are your thoughts? Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. You definitely want to stay. If I've had it, for instance, where um, the HOA allowed short-term rentals, but I called the HOA president and he said, no, we don't like it. I would yeah. just stay away. Don't stay away. It. There's stay away. absolutely no reason. It's not the last deal in the world. If it, Even if it looks like the most profitable deal in the world, Stay Abort. away. Don't Abort. do it. Just go away. Find somewhere else. Um, that would definitely be my advice on that for sure. Yeah. And, and so if we want to talk a little bit about the HOA, what I tell my community is if the only reason I would participate in purchasing a property, which with an HOA, the only reason is if the HOA is there to pretty much collect fees for absolutely amazing restored resort style amenities and it has to follow two caveats resort style amenities and you're they're just collecting fees for really nice amenities and number two over 50 percent of the properties within that hoa are short-term rentals those are my rules this is not something that's gospel or anything like that but that's how i live my life and so that has served me well because i've been burnt before that's going to be a story time i'll tell you about my whole hoa burnt situation a little bit later so yeah <laughs> All right. So next question, Jen is asking, please answer this question because I can't get an answer from anywhere. What about condos, lower cost of entry, nice amenities, yes, HOA fees, but some are an extreme and can actually cover a good deal of your expenses than you would have otherwise. Do you have the same occupancy rate as cabins? different demographic. I don't understand the part about different different demographic, Jen, but I'm following you, girl. I got you. I'm following you. So Jen wants to know about condos, lower cost of entry. I love that. I'm here for it. Nice amenities. Yes. Shared amenities. Yes, there are HOA fees, but some are an extreme. Okay. I can, I can dig it. I can totally dig that and can be a good deal. Yes, I'm following you. Some are, some aren't. So it sounds like you're doing your numbers, which is amazing. That's good. Do they have the same occupancy rate as cabins? Huh? But no, absolutely they can, right? It just depends on the market. Tyler, I'll let you take that. I don't know if your um, market has a lot of condos or, or that asset class, but I'll let you take that. Yeah, they can, you know, condos versus single family homes. My my first piece of advice would be single family home if you've got the cash. 
Um, it's going to appreciate better. It's going to have a better occupancy. Your average daily rates are going to rise. When you talk about something like a condo building, if it allows short-term rentals, there probably are a number of other short-term rentals in the same condo building. So then what you've got to do to make that work is you have to be the best unit in there. Um, and even then, I think overall your returns are going to be less. But also, it may fit a certain segment of investor that wants something that's a little bit more passive, or if it's an emotional purchase for them for some reason, like they always go to those condos every summer anyways, then it might make a little bit more sense. Overall, I don't do condos too often, um, just for the simple fact that oversaturation, right? Um, for instance, there's these condos in uh, Sugar Mountain, it's nine stories, almost every single one is a short-term rental, so there's always competition. In the low season at lower occupancy rates on weekdays, what's going to happen? You're going to compete on price to be able to get occupancy in there. So I would personally, I don't invest in condos. It may be the right investment for some folks, um, but overall, I don't think it's the right investment for everyone. Yeah, that's a great perspective. Thank you for that, um, Tyler. So Jen says a demographic question is like, do they attract couples? Do they attract families? Do they attract college kids. And so I hear you, Jen. So here's, here's my take on it. I also don't invest in condos, but some of my students do. And what I have seen uh, to be a great value proposition for condos is sometimes you can become, you can get to tier one and be more cost effective if you're on a beach property. So you, or even probably ski, you can be in a condo right you know, by what is it called? The Black Diamond or something like that, where the ski lifts are. And so you can probably get into um, that asset class and that view and that entire vibe without having to spend three, 10, $20 million. You can spend a couple hundred thousand dollars. So I absolutely love that about condos. But again, you do want to make sure the HOA is okay with short term rentals. And you also want to make sure that um, a good, majority of the properties, 50%, I think is a good number, uh, are short-term rentals because all of those homeowners can then vote and support, you know, anything that is going to be a little bit short-term rental friendly. But I don't want to underestimate what uh, Tyler has just said, because what we're seeing as the trend for 2022 is that that guest is a little bit more savvy. They're a little bit more picky. They are looking for that unique experience. And so everything that Tyler touched base on a little bit, that outdoor fire pit, creating that entire vibe, you cannot necessarily do that with a condo. So if you're going into a condo community, you want to make sure, you know, of course, stay in your budget, but you want to make sure it has maybe the latest and the greatest and the top amenities because guests are looking for that unique experience. They're looking for a, a higher level of accommodations. They're looking for the newest. They're looking for the best. And I, my perception is with a single family home, you can absolutely make it into something like they've never seen before. Whereas the condos, you have the four walls, like everybody else's four walls within that building. There's only so much you can do to stand apart from the competition. And I'm all about outpacing my competition. I'm all about being in the 99th percentile. Even my revenue managers that I consult with, they say, oh my gosh, you're like the most expensive thing around. I'm like, yes. Yes. And I can do that because I can be unique with the condo. You're locked in. If everyone's charging $56 a night, guess what? You're going to, we'll squeeze in 60 a night. You know, how do you, you know, then 
set yourself apart from the rest of the market. So that entire building dictates, you know, as far as what you can do. But when you're a single family home set apart, you want to believe the shenanigans we can add to our properties to then, you know, upsell because we're catering to a certain clientele. So put that into perspective, Jen. If you could swing a single family, I would say, you know, try to do a single family. If you can swing a condo, if that's what you can see, that is perfectly okay. But make sure that the amenities are the latest and greatest and make sure that the HOA is, is uh, STR friendly and that uh, most of the properties there are STRs. And that's my opinion. Again, <laughs> consult with all the bodies, all the powers that be that you're supposed to consult with. <laughs> I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not into my attorneys. Probably like she's saying too much. <laughs> but um, I hope that helps. Elizabeth says, and this is such an important question. She says, what is the average price for cabins in your area? What can one expect to gross per year for a three or four bedroom cabin? Yeah. So what I always look for from a revenue standpoint is a 15% gross return on investment. And I know that that's not the most important number, but it's an easy number to get to, which is really important in this market because you've got to analyze a deal like that to be able to put it in offer and actually get something. So the gross return on investment in our area, the minimum that I want to feel confident a property can do in the first year is a 15% gross return on investment. So let's say it's 500000 I want to see that the gross revenue for year one, I feel really confident in $75,000. But my overarching uh, theme tonight, I think, is growth potential. There has to be some trigger for growth potential, whether that's it doesn't have a hot tub now and I can add one. It doesn't have a game room now. I can add one. Maybe I can open up the view. Maybe we're going to upgrade the kitchen, add a bedroom. Maybe it says it's going to do 75, but there are two properties um, within a mile doing 90. So I want to see room for growth potential you can't do a 10% gross return on investment like what's happening in the Smokies right now because you have no room for margin of error. You can't have a slow month. You can't, uh, we can't have another COVID variant where travel slows down for two months. You can't have a pipe burst. You can't go use the property yourself for a month if you want. You just, you have to perform perfect all the time and that's impossible. Uh, it's totally unrealistic. So the 15% gross return on investment, I find leaves enough room for that margin for error. And that's why I never go below that. Even if a property is looking like 14.5, I just don't go there because your margin for error then would be down maybe in the 12s, maybe in the 13s. You'd still make a little bit of money, but you'd have to do perfect all the time. And it will never go like that. So don't expect it to. This is the housing market. Things will go wrong. A pipe will burst. Your house may burn down. You have to be prepared. And I don't want to scare everybody. Rachel's like, whoa, Tyler. But no, no, let's, let's, let's talk about the truth. You're, yeah. you're seeing the truth. I welcome that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've had, we put a brand, we, I closed with a client last year at the end of last year, he put a brand new roof on day two and that night a tree fell on it and smashed the whole roof in and he had to put another roof on day three. So things will go wrong. You have to be prepared for that in your budget and your numbers. So that's why you need some room for growth. You can't just have a property and, and say, okay, well, it's going to do 75, but all the other properties are doing 60. 
it can't be like that. You have to see other properties doing better. So there's a goal to achieve. How do we get there and do better even than those properties there? But it gives you some confidence to know that the potential is there. And to answer um, her original question, what is the price range? Because I operate on percentages, there's not a specific price range that's better than another. It could be a $300,000 property, which those are almost all gone. I don't see it too much anymore. 350 and 400, it could be a good starting point, but it's an uber competitive price point to be in right now. I have two clients that were in that price point over the last two months. We put in over 10 offers for each of them. Finally got both of them under contract, but it took a long time and they lost out on a bunch of money in interest rates if they would have been able to get something a few months ago. So if you're in that price range right now, bid on everything you can. That makes a good deal. Like make sure it's still a good deal, but try to get anything you can right now because that price range, unfortunately, the inventory is just shrinking and it's going to poof be gone by summer. So yeah, to answer your question, it could be from 300,000. It could be 1.5 million. Um, It just depends really on the deal, the house. Does it have views? Is it a huge house with huge occupancy? It does it come turnkey fully furnished? The number that really matters more than purchase price, more than gross return on investment is your cash on cash return. That's your net profit divided by your cash in. And you uh, general investment rule of thumb right now is like more than 18%. There are properties out there if you do them right where you can approach 40 to 50%. And that means you make all your money back within two years that you put into a property, all of it. And then after that is pure profit, super simple um, recipe for huge wealth building. And I'll add one more thing. I don't want to underplay the value of appreciation right now. There is all signs pointing to no way to fix this inventory shortage. When you have a clamp on inventory and it is not going to go up, appreciation goes through the roof. And so you should be making as much money in intangible appreciation as you are in gross revenue per year. It's like the silent secret. It's the little cherry on top. It's so important to make sure that you're investing in a property that has appreciation potential because I have a doctor that bought 10 houses with me last year and between January and December, he bought 10 and he was able to cash out every single dollar in down payment that he put all within the same year, done, all his money back out. Now, every single dollar after that is pure profit and it just cascades and and keeps rolling and rolling like that. So don't underestimate appreciation potential. Don't count on it. Make sure revenue stands up to the property. Don't don't give it give it all away. But appreciation should be a nice hidden gem for you. Woo! That was good, Tyler. Oh my goodness, Elizabeth, thank you for the question. But Tyler, you came in hot with all of the aspects of the average pricing, the gross margins that or the gross revenue that you can expect, right? Or what you should be looking for, and then the secret sauce of the appreciation. I absolutely. Absolutely love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. So definitely, if you are ready and you you share a lot of great wins, Tyler, but we know you also shared some, you know, 
some learning opportunities. I don't think, you know, you either win or you learn, right? There's no losing. So for those homeowners or for those investors who were purchasing or wanting to purchase within that price range, you made 10 offers, they didn't get it. What was the magic that allowed them to finally, you know, get the deal? Because that's something a lot of people are facing. I'm hearing it all the time. I'm putting in offers, I'm putting offers, I'm not getting anything. What what helps us to get the deal done, Tyler? Tell us that. I would say don't fall into paralysis by analysis. We are in such a great housing market right now. And I know it doesn't seem like that from the buyer's point of view, right? It is obviously a huge seller's market, but there is no end in sight for this inventory problem that's happening. There's just nothing I can think of or anybody has been able to tell me to think of that makes me think there's going to be a magic wand and all this inventory is going to hit the market. Interest rates were so low. Interest rates even historically today are still so low that a lot of first-time homebuyers were able to get into the market as hard as it was. It was some of the highest sales years ever the last two years. Um, And new people have entered the market. Um, Older folks are staying in their homes longer. And so what does that mean? There's always going to be less inventory if new construction's not happening. And today, new construction, at least in my state, is not happening. It's at a standstill. It's nowhere near the pace it would need to be to actually keep up and keep inventory at a balanced level. That it, builders are not just going to, you know, fall out of the sky. It's not going to happen. Um, there would have to be massive infrastructure spending in terms of new roads, internet being run, utilities being run. And that's a decades long process. That is not going to happen this year, next year. That's a long process. So, yeah, definitely in terms of winning an offer, don't get analysis by paralysis, uh, paralysis by analysis. Don't be scared to jump in, find something, make sure it's a good deal, have it inspected, look at what the appraised value is. Don't jump into a bad deal. The good deals are out there, but if you find one, don't be scared to jump into it. I find the ones that the people that put two or three offers in with me never get anything. And then they're mad, they're emotional about it. They fall off, they never get anything. They're losing intangible wealth right now, every month that they didn't have something, they're losing appreciation and they're losing revenue that they don't have access to by not buying something. I just had a a client yesterday, Carter, who told me, um, he said, you know what? I'm not emotional about it. We'll just find the next one. And he's the one of the ones that we finally just got in our contract after like literally 10 offers. And it was his attitude about it. He was never upset. I was more upset than he was every time we lose. <laughs> Damn, we lost another one. I'm so mad for Carter. And like, he's like, well, whatever. Finds one tomorrow, puts an offer in on it. Doesn't get upset. Just keeps trying. Um, and finally got one. So Uh, You know, the the best time to buy was yesterday. The second best time is today, though. Third best time is tomorrow. So, you know, don't look into the past. Don't be scared of how values have risen over the past few years. I feel I and I'm speaking for myself here. I'm not a financial advisor, blah, 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 the blur. I don't see how values drop. I just don't see it happening in the future. And so if you're waiting for the real estate market to crash so you can pick up all the deals out there, just consider what would the trigger for that be? People will always need a place to live. 
It's not like housing prices have gone up and rents haven't gone up. Rents in my area are $1,000 a month more than they were two years ago. So if, if rents have gone up and housing prices have gone up, people still are going to need places to live. So even if we go into a small economic downturn, if the stock market struggles, that's not going to affect the housing market to a large extent. It may be a slowdown of appreciation, but appreciation is at record highs right now. We have room for that. And so don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Buy something, buy anything right now. I love it. And I love the little pointer on mindset too, Tyler. Just go into it unemotionally. And I know a lot of you come back to me if you're multitasking, because this is so important. A lot of us, if we don't get the deal, we're like, ugh. And then it's this spiraling and we're going to, you know, just kind of become boneless and just lie on the ground and we're upset. And I've seen it even in our uh, membership, but I love that. Let's go to the next one. So there's a whole mindset shift that we need to make during this time. This is a different, this is unprecedented, I would say. Right. And so I honestly, I put in offers, I put in an offer the other day. I put in offers every other day, you know, and, and I'm, I'm over it now because as you invest, after you've done 18, like we have, it's like offer here, offer, everyone gets an offer, you know, I'm putting in an offer. We'll see what sticks, but the mindset, I love that you, you know, honed in on that as in an investor, this is no longer your first time, you know, home buyer situation. We're not going to be lovey-dovey about anything. Get in there, put in an offer. You get it, you don't put in your next, put in your next, put in your next, as long as it's a great deal. I absolutely love this talk on mindset because that's very important. So thank you so much, Tyler. And if guys, you want to check out Tyler, just reach out to him. Be sure you're ready with your, what is it? The lender pre-approval, <laughs> you know, because uh, there's nothing Tyler can do for you really. If you don't have that pre-approval, your offer just isn't going to get accepted. It's too competitive. So definitely have your ducks in a row. This is something we emphasize in our mastermind. Have your ducks in a row before you go ahead and you tell Tyler, yes, I'm ready. Put in an offer. Cause when you ask them, he's putting in offers like immediately because that's the time frame. <laughs> you know, uh, he needs to get it done. So get your, get your stuff together, get your life together because we have a lot of great resources within the group. Definitely reach out to me. If you don't know who our lending resources are so happy to have uh, them as a part of our community in order for you to get into one of these amazing properties. So again, tap in with me today. I went over about five or six of the questions that I ask realtors when I'm breaking into a new market. I have no referrals, no nothing. I want to know if this realtor is going to be a good fit. I only went over five or six, but behind in our masterminds, if you want to take a under the hood, I have 36 questions that I actually ask. And we go in deep to make sure that this is a, a realtor that we can work with who understands our needs. And then it's a relationship. This is a realtor you may end up working with for the next 10 years or so. So you want to kind of foster those relationships with those realtors within those different markets that you are interested in. Tyler, I'm going to hand it to you. Any final words before we wrap up? Well, I really just wanted to add just a couple seconds um, to what we were responding to in our last question, especially about mindset yes. and analyzing a deal. If you find yourself getting paralysis by analysis, what I would do is come up with a standard set of qualifications for a property to hit. And whether it's four or five, six, whatever things it is, whatever you want in a property, but that also makes a good short-term rental. If a property checks all those boxes, 
make an offer, but set something up like that for yourself. If you find yourself struggling, do I make an offer? Is this the right one? I'm going 50,000 over ask. Is this crazy? Set up those questions for yourself. And that's what I do when I'm analyzing a property. Does it hit revenue? Is it either in a good location or does it have a unique amenity like views? Is the occupancy there? Do the comps support the revenue? And is there one or two comps that are doing more? Those are the things that I personally really want to see out of a property. If it answers yes to all those, I'm going to make an offer. It doesn't matter what the purchase price is. I'm going to max out my DTI because that's the best interest rate you can be at nowadays. And I think that would be a really good, solid strategy for somebody out there that does struggle or get emotional about losing offers or finds themselves going, oh crap, this one I loved is under contract. And then the next day, the same thing happens over and over again. Set up, set up some guidelines for yourself. That may help you cross that bridge, face your fear, and um, be able to confidently make offers on properties. I think that would be my uh, last piece of advice. Oh, I love that. So he gave you just a checklist. And I think that is one of the biggest gifts you got tonight was that checklist. Find out what your you know requirements are. You create your own checklist based on some of what Tyler has uh, just mentioned, and you can add to your own. And then if it checks those boxes, put in an offer. Just put in an offer. Right. Tyler, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. Oh my goodness. This has thank been so impactful. So much. And I thank appreciate you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I could I could talk short-term rentals all night, but you I've do. got, you know, <laughs> the natives are restless out here. So thank you, Tyler. <laughs> thank you, Rachel. Bye everyone. Thank you so much. <laughs>